All right. Good morning, Faith Church. How's it going, everybody? want to welcome everybody who's watching online. Obviously, most of you are Faith Church family. Man, we're so glad that you're tuning in. Again, we just want to give you a shout out in the season that you're in and some of the challenges you're facing. We want you to know not just how much we miss meeting with you, but we're praying for you in this season. And also for all of our first time guests, if you're tuning in for the very first time, we are so glad that you decided to join us. And whoever you are, wherever you're watching, whatever screen you're holding, whether it's a TV, maybe above a mantle, or you're holding a smartphone, we're praying that God would speak into your life, that he would meet you where you are. We said every week that Jesus, he's the hope of the world. Which means, again, he will meet us and we'll open up our heart and we'll give him an opportunity to step into our life. It'll be the greatest decision that you've ever made. Well, listen, we uh, are in this series and continuing today this series entitled Made in the Cave. This idea of being made in the cave is that you find throughout Scripture several characters in the Bible, several people who spend a portion of their life living in a cave. And ultimately what we're finding out is that each one of these stories are packed with life lessons. Now we talk about a cave, obviously, man, if you're going hiking or you're going camping, maybe experiencing a cave in that context, it's exciting, it's fun, it's intriguing. But if you're forced to live in a cave, if that's where you end up, right? Living in a cave can be scary, it can be dark, it can be depressing, it can be isolating. And that's actually what we're finding in every one of these stories as we find these people living in these caves. In fact, I would encourage you, if you have not been here for every one of these messages so far, you've missed two, uh, I would encourage you to go back online and check them out. Week one, we talked about David. David was found himself in a cave of character, that he was on his way from really being a shepherd, a nobody, that God had anointed him to be the king of the nation of Israel. But what we found is on his way to the, to the castle, he had to stop, stop by a cave because God was working on his character. And what we said was this, that caves can qualify us for crowns, which means that sometimes we find ourselves in seasons and we find ourselves in situations and it's maybe not what we would pick. But God can use whatever season you're in, God can use you to hone your character, to develop your walk with him, to develop your relationship, to develop your skill set. And so while we don't love those cave moments, sometimes God again can use them to develop our character. Last week we talked about this guy by the name of Elijah, and Elijah found himself in this cave of calling. God called this guy to be a prophet, and man, God used him to do some really tremendous things, but ultimately because... Um, this woman wanted to kill him, the queen of this nation that he was speaking out against, their wickedness. He got afraid and he went on the run and found himself, instead of standing in front of people declaring God and what God wanted to say to his people, we find him hiding in a cave. And thankfully, man, God met him in that cave and reminded him of his calling and got him right back out in his purpose. And what we found out is that sometimes we run to things in our lives that we think are gonna help us when really those things are hurting us. And some of us in life, we have run to things and those things are getting us out of our calling. And the best thing you can do sometimes is to get out of the cave you're in. And so today I want to talk about um, this, this next guy. We're going to lean into a really challenging story. But let me just say this. I wonder how many of you watching this, how many readers we have. How many people here love to read, right? Reading is, is its own thing. Everybody has preferences in life. There's things that some people like to do. Some people love to cook right? Some people love math. Some people love gaming. Some people love to read. I've been a reader my whole life. Um, always love to read. And I'm not like a one-lane reader. I read all kinds of books. I love sci-fi. 
Um, I love fantasy, whether it's, uh, whether it's Lord of the Rings or uh, even, you know, whatever. Uh, I love, um, love leadership books. But one of my favorite books, and I don't read a lot of them because typically they're, they're pretty heavy reads, but I love to read biographies. Now, if you've never read biographies and you're a reader, I would encourage you to pick one up. And here's why. Man, there's so many good ones. The last one I read, I read about a year ago. It was entitled The Last Viking. It's about this guy by the name of Roald Amundsen. Roald Amundsen was an explorer. And at the turn of the last century, right, there were kind of these four places on planet Earth that were off limits. People hadn't been to yet. All of these explorers were racing to get there. Uh, the Northwest Passage, the South, uh, Northeast Passage, Southwest Passage, North Pole, South Pole. Roeld Amundsen made it to all four of those. And he was the first one to make it to the South Pole. So it's just, man, so interesting. And here's why I think it's a win or a value to read biographies is because if you want to learn how to live life read the lives of those who have lived it right a good a good biography is kind of like a free life coach it can kind of encourage you if you want to if you want to end up where this person ended up right you can learn how to make some good decisions based on the decisions they made that got them where they ended up but the reverse is true some people end up in some really bad places and you can learn from the trajectory of their life if you don't want to end up where they ended up then don't make the decisions they made right and so that's kind of the win of biographies is you can lean into people's lives a book can become a life coach to you and you can begin to navigate and learn how to make some decisions to end up where you want to end up or to not end up where you don't want to end up in life and so with that in mind i want us today to lean into the biography of the life of a man by the name of lot everybody say lot lot not a lot a lot that's his name l-o-t lot now, Lot, I want to lean right into his story, and this section of Scripture is pretty crazy, and I'm not going to give it any context, but we find Lot living in a cave at the end of his life. And here's, here's what it says, and again, here's, here's kind of the takeaway. As we lean into this, as we lean into his biography, immediately I think what you're going to find is, hey, I, I don't want to end up there, and if we don't want to end up here, then what we can learn from his life is not to make the same mistakes and decisions that he made. So, so check this out. Genesis chapter 19, verse 30, this is the end of his life, and then we'll look backwards. It says this, afterward, Lot left Zoar because he was afraid of the people there, and he went to live in a cave in the mountains with his two daughters. So here's the end of his life, and here's what we know is, here's this guy, Lot, he's living in a cave with his two daughters, and what we find is while he's in this cave, we won't read this whole story, but his daughters, they figure out that like, this is it. This is kind of the end. We're living in isolation. Nobody's around us. Nobody's with us. And they wanted to have families. And since there's no men around, they decided the only way they could have a family, uh, and this gets crazy quick. This, this story goes off the rails is they decide the only way we can have a family is to sleep with a man. And since we're, there's no men around, the only person we can sleep with to get impregnated is our dad. Come on, this is crazy. And so the story tells us what's recorded is that they end up night back to back. These girls get their dad Lot drunk and sleep with him so they can get pregnant. And here's how Lot's story ends check this out genesis 19 verse 36 the end of this section says as a result as a result of them sleeping with their dad both 
of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their own father. Come on, now, we can just say it. Ugh. I mean, that's kind of like, what? Wait, what? Like, that just makes, wait, I got to read that again. See, this is why, I'm telling you, you need to read your Bible. There are some sections in Scripture, but what I love about it is for, I, I read this, that for several hundred years, this section of Scripture was forbidden to be preached because it's, it's so wild, it's crazy. But I love it because the Bible doesn't flinch in the face of, the, of, of human depravity. God is willing to lean in to our brokenness and our pain so we can learn from it. And so there is something to learn from the life of Lot so we don't have to end up in the cave that he in and so now watch this because ultimately you read this in his story the life of lot ends right here lot is never mentioned in scripture again personally or directly like this is how his story ends this guy like this imagine this movie we're leaning into the end of the movie this is the closing scene lot living in a cave his daughters get him drunk and sleep with them they get impregnated and like it fades black in the credits roll. And you're like, wait, what? No, 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 I gotta, I gotta see the front end of the movie. How did, how did that happen? But here's what I want you to ask yourself. Like, imagine Lot as a senior in high school. Y'all remember when you were seniors in high school and for the yearbook, uh, do they still do yearbooks? I don't even know. You know, for yearbooks, they would ask you the question like, where do you wanna end up? Where do you see yourself? Like, I don't imagine like Lot as a senior in high school, like he's got pimples all over his face. He's trying to figure out and navigate his future. He's not sure what college he's gonna go to. I don't think he wrote in his yearbook, hey, I wanna end up broke and bankrupt and a widower getting drunk and sleeping with my daughters and impregnating them. Like I don't think, I'm pretty sure that's not how he saw his life ending, but that's exactly how he ends. And so here's the question. How did Lot end up there and if you're taking notes here's what i want you to hear today where we're going to lean in is that caves are the fulfillment of compromise sometimes when we when we start to compromise our character when we start making compromises to our ethics when we make start making compromises to our faith we start compromising our relationship with Christ. When we start making compromises in life, I'm telling you, inevitably, we're going to end up in this cave, this isolation, this place of depression, this place of darkness. Some of you are there. Like, you're looking around like, like how did I end up here? How did I get in this place? And you may not be in the crazy place that Lot is in. But I promise you, some of you who are watching this, you're in a place that some of your friends and your family members are looking at you like, how did... How did she end up there? How did he get there? So you're asking yourself, how did I get here? And it all starts when we begin to compromise the essential decisions in our life. And so I want us to go back to the beginning of Lot's story because this will help us to navigate. And here's my hope today is, is that we track Lot's story. I want you to look at your own life story because my hope for all of us watching this, including myself, is that I don't end up in a cave of compromise, that you don't end up in a cave of compromise, but God does in you, through you, and for you everything he planned for you, and we don't miss the best that God has for us. And so I want us to go back to the beginning of Lot's life at least as he's interject, introduced into the story of Scripture. And check this out. This is how his life starts. Before you can get into Lot, you got to lean into Abraham. Now, a lot of us watching this, we know Abraham. Abraham, again, is this guy that God pulls out of obscurity and he starts a journey with, ultimately to introduce a person 
that would become a people that ultimately throughout all the people of the earth that God would introduce himself to. And so it starts with, with this guy by the name of Abraham. And so listen to one of the things that God says to Abraham. This is so cool. And this is where Lot gets introduced. Genesis 12, 2 says, and I will make you a great nation. This is what God's promise is to Lot. Come on, anybody want to do something really great? You want to be great? You want to walk in greatness? Here's what God says to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. Everybody say blessed. Everybody say a blessing. This is what God says to Abraham. I'm going to bless you and I'm, you're going to be a blessing to others. Verse 3, and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And so God introduces himself to Abraham. He says, I've got a great plan for your life, but in order for you to get into your plan, you've got to get out of this place. And so he says, I'm, when you leave, he says, I'm going to begin to bless you. I'm going to begin to prosper you. I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. And listen, here's where Lot gets introduced to the story. Genesis 12, 4. So Abraham departed. Everybody read this. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. And Lot went with him. So here's this guy by the name of Abraham. God has a great plan, purpose for his life, ultimately to prosper him. He, does, he, he starts to walk in the plan and purpose of God. And the Bible says, and Lot went with him. So because he starts hanging out with Uncle Abraham, things start going pretty well for himself. In fact, check this out. Again, we're going to read through some story here to give some context. Genesis 13 verse 2 says, and Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. So right away, we find out God starts doing for Abraham everything he said. He said, I'm going to bless you. And he, this actually what happens, man. Abraham, his, his net worth starts to go through the roof. He starts to become a multi-squillionaire. Now, he, today we measure money and we measure wealth by maybe what we drove to church or maybe what, we're gonna li what we live in or we measure wealth by maybe the clothes we wear, the jewelry we wear. We measure wealth by the stocks that are in our accounts. Back then, the way they measured wealth by, was, was by how many camels you had. You measured wealth by how large your flock was. And what we find out about Abraham is because of God's blessing, because God said, I'm going to bless you, we see ultimately Abraham becomes one of the world's wealthiest. He becomes like on the Fortune 500. He's, he's on the cover. But watch this. And Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. Watch this. And Lot... Remember Lot? Lot went with him. Lot was traveling with Abraham, and he also, read it with me, became very wealthy with flocks of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and many tents. Now, let me just real quick, let me say it. Is anybody here thankful for the associations in your life that make you wealthy? Anybody here thankful that God sometimes brings people into your life, and you may not be financially rich because of them, but anybody here thankful that sometimes God brings a person, and they make you wealthy in wisdom, or they make you wealthy in joy, or they make you wealthy because they open doors and give you opportunity. Anybody here thankful, or any watching online, God's brought people into your life, or you've been it to somebody else, where you've made them wealthy, or they've made you wealthy. Man, never, come on, never look down at the associations that God's blessed you with. And so Lot is wealthy, not because he's independently wealthy. He's wealthy because he gets to hang out with Uncle Abraham. He's getting the overflow of the blessing that's on Abraham. He's experiencing it because he's in close proximity. So check this out. Here's Lot's story. He steps onto the scene as kind of a nobody, 
with an uncle that has a promise from God because he leaves with Uncle Abraham because he's hanging out with Abraham. He starts to prosper and get blessed because God told Abraham, listen, I'm going to bless those who are blessing you. You're going to be a blessing to those who are around you. And because Abraham gets wealthy, Lot gets wealthy. That's a good story. Come on. That's a, when you graduate high school and all of a sudden you got locks of flocks. Lot had lots. That didn't land as well as I thought. <laughs> and so you're like, hey, Lot's in a great place. How did he get from being wealthy? How did he get from a place where everything's going great, where like he's, he's living the dream? How did he get there to the cave of compromise? And here's what I want you to know is what we have in common with Lot is temptation. Everybody in this room, everybody watching at home online, whenever you decide to watch this message and you tune in, it doesn't matter if you watch this today or you watch it a month or you watch it 20 years from today, it'll still be true for every single one of us watching this. What we have in common with Lot is we may not be wealthy with lots of cattle and we may not be living in a cave sleeping with our daughters, but what we do have in common with Lot is every one of us in this room, we face temptation. And the reason I wanted to take time today and to lean into this story is because I'm watching the world around us unravel. I'm watching families in this congregation. I'm watching individuals in our community. I'm watching the natural platform unfold and implode on itself as we're giving in to temptation and we're compromising our ethics. We're compromising our character. We're compromising our calling. And a lot of us are ending up in caves of death, desolation and darkness and depression. And I just came today to tell you that you don't have to end up in that cave if we will lean in and learn from Lot's story we can get a different destination than he had but we got to want something different than he has so check this out James chapter 1 James chapter 1 James helps us understand how temptation works in all of our lives I want you to notice this James chapter 1 anybody here have been tempted let's just be clear when I talk about temptation I'm talking about whether you've been tempted to eat the piece of pie or you've been tempted to look at pornography and everything in between come on says this, James chapter 1, and remember when you are being tempted. doesn't say if you're being tempted. It says when, which means everybody, you will be tempted. We will face temptation. We will look at opportunities, and we will compromise in our decision if we're not careful. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, hey, God's tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. I want you to listen to this, verse 14, and this is going to give us an outline of where we're going to go. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, just, just listen to this thing. It says, again, that, that all of us are tempted, and how temptation starts is temptation starts with our own desires. You, you don't need a devil. You don't need a devil to be tempted. Why? Because we all have these desires. And a lot of us have, a lot of the desires that we have are God-given desires. A, a desire to be sexually intimate, that's a God-given desire. A desire to, to have, to, to eat food, that's a, that's a God-given desire. A desire to be successful and prosper in life, that's a God-given desire. But what happens is, man, with the God-given desire, we, we try to fulfill it in a, in a way that's perverted, in a way that's twisted. So the desire starts in us. So here's a cycle we're going to look at. 
is these four words, imagination, rationalization, separation, and destruction. It starts with our own desires. We're enticed. Come on, we're enticed. It's that, it's that we start rationalizing. We get pulled away. That's separation. Those, those phrases that James uses are hunting and fishing terms. He says we get enticed. It's the, it's the bling on a hook of a fish in the water. He sees it and he's enticed. And when he bites that hook, it's a picture of an animal being trapped. You're caught and you get dragged away. You get dragged out of the water. You get dragged out of the forest and you end up on somebody's plate. That's where sin always ends is destruction. And I want us to see today this same cycle that Lot goes through is the same cycle that some of us are through. And my hope today is that you will recognize where are you at in this journey. Maybe you're in the place of imagination and you're allowing your imagination to run wild. And your imagination is taking you into a direction of temptation. Maybe you've already graduated past that and you're in the place where you're rationalizing some of your decisions. Like you're justifying it. Some of you in the place where you're, you've, you're like past that, you graduated in a separation. You're like, you're separating yourself from people that's trying to help you live right and trying to help you to prosper. You're separating yourselves from the Abrahams that God's put into your life. And some of you are in full blown out destruction mode. Here's what I want you to know is no matter where you're at in this cycle, God's grace is enough to meet any one of you wherever you are. God's grace is greater. Come on, the word says that God's grace is greater than all of our sin. Come on, does anybody know that? Come on, give God at home a big praise if you know that God's grace is greater than our sin. So the good news is you can turn it around and it's never too late. But first thing you have to do is you got to recognize. So watch this. If you're taking notes, this first step where Lot goes from being prosperous to living in a cave, sleeping with his daughters number one is imagination is imagination so here's the story they their 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 camels and their flocks they explode and eventually abraham's flocks and lot's flocks they become so big in the general area they're living that there starts to be this tension between their herdsmen there's there's not enough grass there's not enough property for all the animals to eat and so Abraham grabs his uh, son Lot and he tries to resolve the tension. Listen, if you have tension in your life, it usually won't resolve itself. Sometimes you've got to have awkward conversations and hard conversations. And I'd rather have a hard conversation and resolve the conflict than live in the conflict. And so Abraham gets his nephew Lot, pulls him aside and says, hey, listen, things are sideways right now. Kind of our herdsmen are fighting. I don't want you and I to fight. So listen, there's lots of property. There's lots of places we can go. Listen, it's God gave it all to me. Just, just look around. You pick your property and I'll give it to you. And I want you to read what happens here because this is where Lot's life begins to go off the rails. Genesis 13.10. How did he get from prospering to living in a cave? It starts right here. Genesis 13.10. Lot, everybody read this, took a long look. He didn't take a long look. Come on, y'all got to say it. He took a long look. Because that's every time how our imagination happens. We start to take a long look at the pie or a long look at the person passing by or a long look at the pornography on the page. We start taking a long look. He took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. We're going to come back to what that means in a minute, but I want you to see he's looking around. Where does he want to go? He takes a long look in this one direction. And here's what I found out is, man, about our imagination is all of us wrestle somewhere in life. Where you're tempted isn't where I'm tempted, and where I'm tempted, you're probably not tempted. 
And I, I used to have these conversations. I don't have them as much anymore because adults aren't as willing to be as honest as teenagers are. I love teenagers because teenagers will come and give you the real. Like, they'll ask you the honest questions. They'll give you the unfiltered version. And I remember as a teenager, some of the talks that I would have to have is basically, how, here's, the, here's the question, is, is Pastor, Pastor Steve, how far is too far? Like, basically, how far can I go with my girlfriend and still get to heaven? And, you know, and so you'd have to have the conversation. Was the hand hold, is hand, and we say it, hand holding okay? Come on, say it, body locks, no way. That's the rule. That's hand holding okay, body locks, no way. You want to get a tattoo, get that one, baby. Come on. You can, you, can I hold hands? Can I kiss? Can I open mouth kiss? And like, it, it only, I'm going to end there because it only got more awkward from there. And basically, here was the question. Like, you got these teenage boys imagining what would it be like to be with that girl. And they allowed their imagination to end up in an unhealthy place. And they would decide, how close can I get to sin and still be okay? That should never be the decision we make as Christ followers, as people of character and people of faith. It shouldn't be how close can we get, how close can we get to sin. It should always be how close can I get to the Savior. And like that's, we start imagining, we get on Facebook and we imagine, we imagine that person we dated in high school and we imagine, I wonder what they're up to. I wonder, I wonder what they're doing today. And we start to imagine what would life have been like if I ended up with them? And we forget we're married to somebody sitting in the other room and we allow our imagination to run wild. We allow our imagination to run. What would it be like if I got accepted into that group of friends? And we start taking a long look at seeing ourselves in situations and seeing ourselves in relationships and seeing ourselves in financial situations. And we start to, and that's the first step that every single one of us go through. We start to ask the question, what would it be like? I'm telling you, in, in the season we're in, there are marriages that are breaking down. And a lot of you that are watching this, if you don't hear anything else I'm going to say today, you need to hear these words. You need to stop flirting and start fleeing. Stop playing the games with your marriage on your wife, on your husband, and you need to get out of that relationship. You need to get out of that conversation. You need to get out of the context of what's going on. You need to run for your marriage and stop running from it. Run for your marriage. Run for what God has for you. But it starts in the imagination. And the Bible says for Lot, that again, he took a long look, watch this, in the direction of Zoar. Every direction has a destination. I don't care what direction you go. If you go north long enough, you're going to hit Canada. If you drive east long enough, you're going to hit the Atlantic Ocean. If you drive west long enough, you're going to hit the Pacific Ocean. And come on, anybody here thankful? You drive south just about five hours. Come on, baby, you're going to hit the Gulf of Mexico. Let's go. Let's go, Destin. Let's go, Gulf Shores. Ultimately, every direction has a destination. And the Bible says that, that, that this guy who is prosperous, who is hanging out with Uncle Abraham, who is blessed, all of a sudden he started taking a long, he started imagining what would it be like? What would it be like to live over there? And what to find out what over there looks like. The second, second part of the cycle. Now let me ask this question if you're taking notes. Is where are you headed in your heart? Is your imagining Imagining, You're allowing your imagination to run wild about people, places where you know it's going to take some compromise to get that. Where are you headed in your heart? If you could have everything your heart is desiring, where is it going to end you? I, I promise you, Lot never saw himself in a cave, widowed, broke, sleeping with his daughters. But that's where his imagination began. That put him in a direction that landed him at that destination. 
Number two, in that cycle, again, all of us are tempted. It starts with our own desires. Again, James, he makes it clear. He says, when we're enticed, that's that, that's that rationalization. Listen how Abraham or how Lot rationalizes his move. Listen to this, verse 12. So Abraham, he settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom. Everybody say near Sodom. So he's going in the direction of Zoar. He goes that direction so far that he gets this place where he plants his tents, he plants his flocks near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. Now, a lot of us who've been in church for a while, we've heard of like Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me just lean into it. Verse 13. But the people of this area of where he, where he was near was extremely wicked and constantly sinned against the Lord. Like, these weren't like everyday sinners. These were like top-tier sinners. These are like, these are like the dudes you're like, oh, like they should have their own YouTube channel. Like, these people are wheels off. It was, it was known throughout the region, like, that's the place. It's, it's uncomfortable. Lots of crazy stuff happening there. Lots of ungodliness. However, even though that was the reputation of the area, Lot wasn't afraid to go and set up his tents near Sodom and here you got to ask yourself like why did he do it watch why would Lot why would he put himself in jeopardy by saying how close can I get rationalize we tell ourselves rational lies we start rationalizing in our mind and I have to believe probably what Lot did again he was looking around what did he need he wanted grass for his cattle and he said that's gotta that's gotta be the best grass over there and sometimes we make decisions, that's the best school, that's the best group, that's the best program, that's the best job, that's the, that's the best tie, that's the best relationship. And it might be the best, but is it the best for you? Is it the best for the plan that God has for your life? And so it might have been the best grass, but it wasn't the best for him. And so Lot goes over and he starts living near Sodom. And I'm just telling you, all of us in this room, we do the same thing. We start to tell ourselves rational lies. We start to convince ourselves, well, my husband don't talk to me and I met this guy at work and he makes me feel this way. He gives me attention. And we start to rationalize why it's okay to have an emotional affair. We start to rationalize like, man, I'm stressed out. I just need a little high, just a little buzz. I just need something to let, let off the tension. And we start to rationalize why it's okay to live that way come on is anybody we, we start to rationalize like hey i've worked hard i deserve this money and if my job isn't gonna recognize me if i gotta if i gotta twist the contract if i gotta take a little under the table and nobody's looking we start to rationalize i deserve it i work hard rationalize we start to tell ourselves rational lies you know the rational lies that that i hear still today and it's it's only booming some of you gonna get uncomfortable watching it but because i'm your pastor i'm gonna tell you the truth is the rationalization of couples who lived together before marriage. And they'll tell me, they'll say, but pastor, come on. First of all, they try to tell me ain't nothing happening. And I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. Hey, hey. So, and they'll tell me like, pastor, you don't understand. It's just all a financial decision. It's so much cheaper because here's what we're going to do, pastors, is we're going to move in together. And because we only got one rent, like we, we only got like, we're going to, we're going to pull our resources and we're going to start saving money. And once we got enough money, then we're going to go get married. And we're going to have, and then we're going to do it right. But we're going to save up the money for our wedding. And we can only do that if we live together. What you are telling yourself is rational lies. You are lying to yourself because statistics, forget, forget Christianity, forget 
forget being people of faith. Statistics, secular statistics say that if you live together before marriage, you are more likely to get a divorce after marriage. That's just a fact. And at the end of the day, for us who are Christ followers, it goes against what we're called to be, which means a man leaves his father and his mother and he cleaves to his wife. We're going to do this thing right out of the gate. If you want to have an incredible marriage, you want to have a God-honoring marriage, the only way to do that is to get married. The truth is, the reason some of you are living with somebody isn't because you're saving up money. One, because you want sex. And two, because women, you're willing to tolerate a man who won't give a commitment to you. And men, you won't man up and get a backbone and make a commitment to the woman you're hanging out with. Let's go. So we tell ourselves, rationalize. We rationalize. And this is exactly what Lot did. So check this out. Watch this journey. He goes from looking towards Oar, and then he moves, he moves by Sodom. And then watch this. Watch. The next part of his story, again, I won't, for time I won't read it, but basically in the region he is now living near Sodom, these four, these four groups of people get in a battle, get in a fight with these five groups of people. You can read it. It's the four kings versus the five kings. And in the battle, watch this. This is so powerful. Genesis 14, verse 12. The group that won the fight, the four versus five, listen to this. And they also captured Lot, Abraham's nephew who lived, what are those next two words? In Sodom. And carried off everything that he owned. Do y'all see this? Do you see this progression? This guy went from living a blessed life to imagining what would it be like to live that direction, to moving and rationalizing. It's okay to live near Sodom. And somehow, we don't know how, the Bible doesn't tell us in his biography, but somehow he goes from living near Sodom to living in Sodom. Like he's in the heart of the beast and come on a lot of us who are watching this we have seen that same that same journey in our own life like we kept getting closer and closer and we found ourselves in the middle of the mess we found ourselves in the middle of the affair we found we found ourselves in the middle of embezzling we found ourselves in the middle of a pornography addiction we found ourselves in the middle of a drug addiction like how did i get here what well, just didn't happen overnight it starts in the progression of imagination like hey what would it be like if to rationalization hey it's okay because and what I want you to see is this idea, man, ultimately separation. I think Lot got here because he allowed himself to be separated from Uncle Abraham. Like, that's where the blessing was. I don't know anybody else, like, this is, this is for you. For a long time, I didn't wear my seatbelt in Ohio. And, like, everywhere on TV is like, buckle up, Ohio. It's the law. And I was like, but I don't want to wear a seatbelt. <laughs> Well, finally, you know, this has been a long time ago. Finally, I decided I'm going to start wearing a seatbelt. And so I would say I always wear a seatbelt, but it's not true. And here's why. Generally, if I'm in a car, I'm driving. It's, it's me. It's not you. Uh, if I'm going to die, I'd rather do it with my hands than you're crazy driving. Come on. Anybody else feel that way? Let's go. And so, but every now and then I'll get in the passenger seat. Somebody else is driving. And I don't know what it is. It's natural when you get in a car in the driver's seat just to reach over and grab the belt. It's just not as natural. And so a lot of times I find myself, if I'm in a passenger seat, like I don't have my seatbelt on until I hear that bing, bing. Like, and it's just enough to aggravate you. It's like a fly fly, bing, bing. What do you, bing, bing. 
Like, man, bro, what's wrong with your car? Well, you don't have your seatbelt on. And it's that nagging little bing, bing. It's getting on your nerves, isn't it? That's the car. Like, and it's just reminding you, put your seatbelt on. And when you drive down the road, you got all of these noises, and you got this dashboard full of lights, and there's yellow lights, and there's red lights. There's lights to tell you when your brakes aren't working. There's lights to tell you when your transmission isn't working. There's lights to tell you when you're running low on oil or your engine's about to blow. There's this RPM gauge. If you're running your car in a low gear too high, it's about to, and there's all these lights and gauges, and it will make noises, and it will warn you. If your door is ajar, if it's not close all the way bing bing come on if it's time for an oil change bing bing and that junk gets on your nerves and you almost wish man i wish my car would make all that noise i wish all these lights weren't on the dashboard but do you know all those things are there to help you and make sure your car stays healthy so you got something to get you in your destination from point a to point b god allows people to come into our life and i'm telling you accountability can be annoying you shouldn't be in that conversation you shouldn't be hanging out with that person you're getting too close in a relationship with that person hey you're married we all need people in our lives we need pastors in our lives we need friends in our lives that's why you need to be in church and you need to be in a connect group because we need the bing bing of life for people to warn us even though it's annoying because we don't want to end up in a cave of compromise we want to walk in the purpose of the blessing come on somebody i know cars get on our nerves when they make the noise but they're there to help you abraham was probably sounding the alarm in lot's ears lot come on man i told you you can go anywhere but you probably don't need to go over to that direction wait lot did i hear you moved by Sodom near it come on you don't need to be there and next thing we know Lot is so far separated from Abraham again the Bible says temptation we are drug away you know how I know when people start living wheels off and they're headed to the cave of compromise because they quit coming to church mark it down I've been doing what I'm doing for a long time and I've seen people who fell in love with Jesus had an encounter with God's grace who God started doing incredible things in their life and they started showing up in God's house and getting connected to God's people and they were, they were rolling in their faith and all of a sudden they started, they started an imagination they started rationalizing the decisions they were making and the next step inevitably is they started to separate themselves from people of faith they started separating themselves from friends who had their ear who were going to challenge them and call them on the carpet and when you start to separate yourself from people who love you and people who are willing to speak the truth from you, you are headed for the cave of compromise. Bible says, 1 Peter 5, 8, listen to this, stay alert, watch out for your enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion seeking, notice not everyone, the devil can't devour everyone. He's only seeking someone. Well, you know who he devours? The Bible tells us he's like a lion. Lions don't devour the entire herd, lions devour the one that gets separated from the herd. And when we start to separate ourselves from people that want to look out for us, even people who are annoying to us because they keep calling us, keep holding us accountable, keep speaking truth, those are the relationships we need. And I'll close right here. This last cycle is destruction. When you follow this route from imagination, rationalization, separation, it always ends in destruction. James, again, he said it when sin is fully grown, it ends in death. And I've seen this cycle play out so many times in the lives of people. And what's crazy is they only see what they've gained and they often don't see what they've lost. And they'll tell you, hey, I, I found this, this woman who loves me. And they don't see that they lost a woman who did love them and they lost their kids 
and they lost their house and they lost half their money to a lawyer who took them through the divorce court and they lost their peace and now they're in chaos and they're in constant conflict with their ex. Yeah, you gained some stuff, but what did you lose? See, the enemy only wants you to see the gain. He only wants you to see the profit. He never wants you to see what you sacrificed. And here's Lot. Yeah, he was living in Sodom. Yeah, he might have had the best grass, but he lost the wealth. He lost the purpose. He lost connection and ultimately ended up in a cave, a compromise. And here's, here's where his story, the very end of this section of scripture, this is where it ends, verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 37 and verse 38. Remember his daughters that sl- got him drunk and slept with him? Listen to this. When the older daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Moab. And he became the ancestor of the nation known as the Moabites. And when the younger daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Ben-Ami. And he became the ancestor of the nation known as the Ammonites. Now, if, if that doesn't mean anything to you, let me just tell you why it's there. Because again, God said, Abraham, I'm gonna make you a great nation. I'm gonna bring a people out of you and I'm gonna introduce myself to them and I'm gonna ultimately win the world win the world through you. Well, you know who some of their greatest conflict came through, who some of the greatest tension came through, the nation of Israel, their number one enemies were the Ammonites and the Moabites, this group of people. What I'm telling you is the decision you're making, and we just did a whole series on it, your decisions have generational consequences. Lot's decisions didn't just affect him, it affected his daughters, and it affected his grandkids, and it affected generationally telling you man the devil wants nothing more for you to end up in a cave of depression and darkness and desolation and that's not what God has for you so as I close here's the challenge if you're taking notes the same opportunity doesn't have to lead to the same outcome we're all going to have the same opportunity to be tempted we're all going to have the same opportunity to imagine we all have the same opportunity to rationalize we all have the same opportunity to separate ourselves but you don't have to have the same outcome as Lot. Again, you probably don't end up at a cave sleeping with your daughters drunk. But you might end up broken, depressed, hurting, separated from people who love you, separated from a God who loves you because of the decisions you continue to make. And so what would happen if we twisted the cycle? Instead of ending up with destruction, if we decided to be people of construction, what if you imagine, what would a God-honoring life look like? What if you started to imagine that? What would my life look like if I walked in my purpose? If I'm going to imagine, I don't want to imagine ending up in sin. What would it look like to end up in success? What would it look like to end up being the person God created me to be? Imagine that way, a God-honoring life. Instead of rationalizing, the rational eyes, what would happen if we had rational eyes? We looked truly at our situation and said, you know, that's not right. That's not God. I'm going to be truthful with what I'm walking into. I'm going to be honest about the situation. I'm going to have rational eyes. That's not okay. That situation's not okay. And instead of separating ourselves from people who want the best for us, what if we started separating ourselves from the sin that's trying to hurt us? I think if we reverse the cycle, we won't end up in the cave of compromise. But the devil wants nothing more. The enemy wants nothing more than for you to lose all that God has for you. And when we become a willing participant in our imagination, in our rationalization, in our separation, it'll always end in destruction. And so if you're at home, I would just challenge you to think about like where you at in the cycle. I think some of you can already see it. And my prayer for you as I close today is for God to grab your attention 
God to tell you he'll give you grace. If you'll turn to him, he'll break the cycle and he'll turn you around. And you could have the God-honoring life that he wants you to walk in. So, Father, I thank you today for your word. I pray that as we lean into the story of Lot, that we would learn. It would be a life coach to us, his story. That if we don't want to end up where he ended up, we need to avoid the cycle that he walked in. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray you'll speak to every person that they'll be honest about where they're at in that cycle. And I pray in Jesus' name that you'll catch our heart, you'll catch our attention, and you'll turn us around. And I pray our imagination will be towards a God-honoring life. I pray we'll have rational eyes to be honest, to assess the decisions we're making and the situations we're putting ourselves in. And we'll start to separate ourselves from the stuff that's holding us back so we can have the life that you want us to have. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees said amen, amen. God bless you guys.